So today we continuing our study, not in the Ten Commandments, but in Luke chapter 12. Uh, last week we finished the Ten Commandments. Today we are going to be looking um, at Luke 12, and hopefully next week I'll be able to finish the end of the chapter. Um, so last week we looked at the exhortation that Jesus gave to His disciples in Luke 12 about covetousness. And we know Jesus warned His disciples of, of the danger of greed and the connection between anxiety and covetousness. And today and, and next week, I thought it would be helpful for us to finish uh, these teachings that, that Jesus taught um, till the end of chapter 12. So in our passage today, Jesus shifts the emphasis from being worried about the present to being watchful about the future. And the title of my message is, Are You Ready? Are you ready? And Jesus asks that question a few times in the passage. Uh, but the theme in Luke 12, that all these themes really go together. Uh, the best way to conquer hypocrisy and covetousness and worry is to look to the future, is to look to the Lord's return. Not to try and predict when He's coming, but to anticipate His coming. And hopefully that would affect the way that we uh, behave in our day-to-day -day activities. When we're looking and living in the, in the future tense, it's difficult for the things of the world to ensnare us and bog us down. And in this section this morning, Jesus explains how we can be ready for His return. So we're looking this morning at Luke 12, from verse 35 to verse 48. Luke 12, verse 35 to 48. You can read with me. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household? to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour... He does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did not what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. 
Let's pray. Father, we thankful this morning that we can open your word and study your scriptures together. We know, Lord, there are people around the world, even today, who are not allowed to have a Bible. We know there are people around the world who are not allowed to meet openly like we are. We thank you for this privilege and help us never to take this for granted. Lord, today, as we do open your word, we pray that your spirit would teach us. We pray that your spirit would guide us into all truth and lead us into the path of righteousness that he has set before us. We pray your word, Lord, would show us how, Lord, you want us to honor you and that we would be ready to hear what you have to say, that we wouldn't be like the unfaithful servant, Lord, who who wasn't ready and wasn't willing to hear, wasn't willing to obey, wasn't willing even to know your instructions. May that not be true of us this morning. We pray, Lord, as we've studied these passages on how to overcome covetousness and greed and and worry. We pray today, Lord, that you would show us again and again that our hearts and our eyes need to be fixed upon you in all our circumstances, whether they are going well or whether they are, are, are difficult. We pray, Father, that you would help us to set our hearts upon you. And just as we're saying, Lord, we would submit to your sovereign rule over us. So, Father, we pray, please do the work that you need to do inside of us. Comfort those who need to be comforted this morning with your word, those who are struggling, Lord, those who are grieving. But, Lord, we pray that you would convict those this morning that need to be convicted, those who haven't repented of their sins, those who are still comfortable in their sin. We pray that your word and your spirit would do the work that needs to be done this morning. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. So Colonel Rahl was a German commander of Hessian troops at the Battle of Trenton, which was a turning point in the American War of Independence. On Christmas night in 1776, George Washington crossed the the Delaware River with his troops in preparation for a surprise attack on the Hessian forces. And according to one account... Rahl was busy playing cards at night when he was handed a note from a, a local loyal, a loyalist warning him Washington's forces were approaching. So Rahl wanted to finish the card game first, so he put the note in his coat pocket without reading it. And Washington's soldiers attacked the next morning and captured most of the Hessian forces after a brief battle with neg- negligible losses to the Americans. And Rahl was struck by a musket ball while leading his troops in retreat and died from his injuries a few hours later. And the note warning him about the attack was later found in his coat pocket, still unopened. Procrastination is a common problem, often with serious consequences. Procrastination simply means putting off what needs to be done or hoping to do tomorrow what should have been done today, forgetting that tomorrow belongs to God and it may be too late, putting off the things that need to be done, being unprepared, not being ready. And procrastination is is waiting for the deadline and not taking advantage of the time that we have. I'm sure 
all the students here can relate to that this morning. We've all been guilty of it at some stage or another, isn't it? But procrastination, however, can be fatal when it relates to our relationship with Christ. We often deceive ourselves into believing that that we'll be prepared before our death or we'll be ready by the time Christ returns. Or we'll get right with God when it's, when it's my time to go. We'll get right, right at the end. I've heard people use that excuse very often. We want to think that, that we are in control of our, of our future. We want to think that we're in control of the, the days that are left for us. But the reality is that we are not. We do not even know what is going to happen to us in the next few seconds. There is nothing that is guaranteed in this world. And therefore, the wisest thing to do is to always be ready. And that's the words that Jesus speaks to his disciples here in this passage. The words, the commands to be, to be ready and to keep watch and to be awake are, are very clear in this passage this morning. And they're not exhortations to Christians to try and determine and predict the, the future and the signs of the times, um, whether he's coming sooner or whether he's coming later, or to know specifically the date that he's coming. That's not what Jesus is saying here. The exhortations in this passage clearly are designed to motivate us, to move us, to live in a particular fashion, in a particular way. Jesus had been teaching his disciples not to live for earthly treasures, but to seek first the the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He had warned them the danger of greed, and he called them to avoid anxiety by trusting in him and by being generous, because God takes care of us. So Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem here in the context of this passage He was leaving Galilee. He had only a few months left to live before his death. Um, He knew that he was going there to die. He knew his future very well, and he was preparing his disciples for his departure. He knew he was going to pay for the, the penalty of sin. He knew he would sacrifice his life in order to reconcile sinners back to God. And along the way to Jerusalem, Jesus gave his his followers some very important teaching moments regarding how to live as one of his disciples while waiting for his return. And here are one of them in our passage this morning. So I just have two points this morning um, in my outline. There are some subpoints, so um, pay attention. My first point this morning is the information regarding Jesus' return. The information God regarding Jesus' return. At the time Jesus first told his disciples to be ready for his return, they may not have been exactly sure what he meant. However, in hindsight, we have the privilege of perfect 2020 vision. We know what Jesus um, was saying. We know that Jesus went to the cross a few months later, just a few months later after these teachings. He was buried, we know, and after three days, he was raised back to life. And we know all of these were were affirmations that God the Father had accepted the sacrifice from Jesus Christ the Son. But 40 days later, Jesus ascended into heaven, and he assured his disciples that he would return one day. So let's look at the command, the command in verse 35 
and verse 36. Jesus commanded his disciples to be ready for his return with these words in verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. The King James Version says, let your loins be girded about. Let your loins be girded about. Now in those days, it meant taking the long flowing robes and tucking them into their belts so they wouldn't trip over them while they were um, doing any particular work. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of going to visit the Grand Mosque with um, my family, and they told me to wear a dish dash because I didn't wear the appropriate clothes. So I put the dish dash on, and I was hurriedly walking um, towards the, the mosque, and of course there were steps over there, and I'm trying to take long steps, and as I took long steps, I tripped and I fell on my face. Those dishdashes aren't designed for, <laughs> for running. They aren't designed for, for action. And you have to pull them up. And that's pretty much the, the picture that we have over here. Um, they, the, the, in the Middle East, these, these long robes needed to be dressed for action before they could be busy with the work they needed to be doing. And Jesus went on to give them a parable about being ready, about being ready with the business of the Lord. And he said in verse 36, be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and, and knocks. So the master's servants were to be ready for his return. He was returning from the wedding feast. And weddings in those days were different than weddings in, in our day and age. Today, weddings um, happen in a couple of hours, and they're, they're all over, even though we plan for months and months. The wedding normally just takes a few hours, and then it's over. But weddings in Jesus' days were, were very different. The groom was not ready to get married until he had finished building a place for himself and for his bride to live. And when he was ready, he called his best man, and he called his groomsmen together. Then they went and they collected the bride and her attendants. And at the same time, they issued an invitation to all of the guests, and they all gathered together for the, the wedding ceremony. And the reception after the ceremony then lasted for several days, sometimes as long as a week. So these people, these servants, are waiting for their master. He's been gone for about a week. And the head of the house is now on his way back from the wedding. And at any minute... He could arrive in the courtyard, and they needed to be ready to open the door for their master to welcome him back. And this was a parable that the people would have clearly understood, a very common occurrence. But all of these are pictures, not of trying to predict the future when Jesus would return, but living in such a way now so that whatever happens in the future, whenever the Lord returns, we are ready for His return. Look at the celebration there in verse 37 and verse 38. Notice what happened when the Master returned. Jesus said in verse 37, Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when He comes. Perhaps the Master wondered whether his servants would be awake when he returned. He arrived at a, a late hour in the night. But he need not have wondered, because we know the servants were awake 
The servants were anticipating his return. They were even dressed for action, the scriptures tell us. They had their lamps burning in anticipation for the master's imminent return. And so Jesus said that servants who are ready when their master returns, these are the servants that will be blessed. These are the servants that will be blessed. And then the parable takes a surprise twist. Instead of the master sitting down and being served by his servants, in fact, he serves the servants. He is grateful for their, their watchfulness. He is grateful for them staying up so late and making sure the house was ready for his return. In gratefulness, he serves them. Look at verse 37, the end part of 37. Truly I say to you, he, talking about the master, will dress himself for service and have them, talking about the servants, recline at his table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. So the point is that the master came in, in, a, in, a, in a very early hour of, of the night, or of the morning, late at night. And he still found his servants ready, as they should have been. And he was delighted. He was delighted with their readiness to receive him. And perhaps the people listening to this parable might have thought it a little far-fetched to have a master who would serve his servants. However, we know Jesus. We know his character. We know what the scriptures teach us about him. And we know that this is not far-fetched when it's in reference to Jesus Christ. Just a few months later, on the night of his last supper, we know Jesus was betrayed. But just before that, Jesus took on the role of a servant. Remember, he washed his disciples' feet. And Jesus is the master of the entire universe. He is not just the master of, of this household. He is the master of the entire universe. And yet he took on the role of a servant in order to secure salvation for us. Look at the, the third point there in verse 39 and 40. The caution. There is a word of warning here. There is a word of warning. Not everyone is as ready as the servants in the parable. And so Jesus used a different illustration as a, as a word of caution. A thief does not announce his arrival generally. He doesn't ring bells. He comes as quietly as he can. And generally he's able to break into a house when, when no one is at home. And the objective is obviously not to get caught. But know this, Jesus says in verse 39, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Now Jesus here is describing someone who was careless. Someone who did not prepare himself for the arrival of the thief. He didn't take the necessary precautions. And as a result, he, he suffered loss. A loss that could have been prevented, avoided, if only he had been ready. And Jesus applies his parable in verse 40. He says, You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. One commentator, he, he presses this application home very clearly. This is what the commentator says. Are you ready 
or not. Jesus says we always need to be ready because we never know when He will come again. Being ready means getting right with God by trusting in Jesus Christ. Unless we have prayed to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, we are not ready. How can we possibly be prepared to meet Jesus if we have not asked Him to forgive our sins? Being ready means having a relationship with Christ. And that really is the first and and, and most important point here this morning. If Christ was to return today, would you be able to receive Him as your Master? Is He your King? Are you ready to submit to the Master? If He was to return today, would you be found wanting? That is an important question that every single one of us needs to be answering this morning. And if you are a believer this morning, do you have this sense of, of urgency about people that are not ready, with people that are still lost in their sins, people who would be found wanting if Christ was to return tomorrow? Do you have that sense of urgency about sharing the truth with them, about sharing the gospel with those who are lost in their sins? There are other people around us that are dying in their sins. We prayed for them this morning specifically. There are other people who are not ready to meet Jesus. Are we praying for them? Are we sharing Christ with them? The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. But will people be ready to, to meet Him? And if we have not shared Christ with them, how will they, they hear? Being ready means obviously praying for God's kingdom to come. We must seek His kingdom and we must pray for His kingdom. We must pray that God would expand His rule over us here physically on this earth. We must pray for that rule to be expanded here even specifically in our church congregation, in our communities, in our families, and all around the world. We need to be praying for this. But it means devoting our lives to serving the Lord. And that's really what the the Lord is trying to emphasize here with His disciples. We have one life to live. Are we living it for Christ? This is really probably the, the primary application of this parable. If we are God's servants, we need to be busy doing God's work. We need to be doing what God wants us to do. Teaching about Christ. Sharing about Christ. Feeding the hungry, visiting the sick, caring for the children, helping the elderly, doing whatever humble service we need to do to make sure the kingdom is expanded. And time is short. We don't know how much time we have. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't sit back and think you have all the time in the world. Because we don't, folks. Just this morning we prayed for four Families in our church who are grieving loss, who have lost a dear one in their lives. We don't have forever. We need to make the most of the time that the Lord gives to us. Robert Murray McShane, he sometimes asks people, do you believe that Jesus is coming today? If they replied negatively, he would say, then you had better be ready for He is coming in an hour when you think not. 
That was the problem here. And Jesus saw that problem. And perhaps we don't think urgently enough. We think we have all the time in the world. And we'll do it at a later time when it's more convenient. When I'm not so busy with other things. We don't know when the Lord will return. There's a word of caution here for us. My second point this morning is simply the results of following Jesus. The results of following Jesus' return. Look at verse 41 to to verse 48 there. Peter asks Jesus a question. In the middle of this teaching, Peter puts up his hand and he asks a question. Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Peter had noticed that sometimes Jesus spoke directly to the disciples and sometimes Jesus spoke to everyone. So he wanted to know what Jesus was talking about here. Who was his intended audience here? But notice Jesus does not directly answer Peter. In fact, he answers this question with a question. But he indicates that there are two groups. Two groups of people with respect to his absence before his return. He talks about one group that is faithful, and he talks about one group that is not faithful. Look at verse 42 to verse 44. Faithfulness during Jesus' absence will result in rewards at his appearance. And he says, Who then is the faithful and wise manager? whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Question. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So in this parable, Peter asks a question. And you can almost imagine Peter putting up his hand like a pupil in a classroom and asking Jesus, excuse me, is this, is this going to be on the test? Um, just a word of clarification, do I need to be paying attention here? Or can I go to, back to sleep, like some students do? Jesus does not answer directly. And I think that's a mercy. Because if he had, asked, if he had answered directly, Peter would have been in, in trouble. But notice the way Jesus answers Peter in verse 42. And the Lord said... Who then is the faithful and wise manager? Who is the faithful and wise manager? Now you understand, this this is an answer. And what he's saying is, Peter, I'm going away. And in the hands of you disciples, I'm going to leave my sheep. And while I'm away, here's what you need to be doing. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed them with the Word of God. I want you to to give them their means of grace that they need. I want you to care for their souls. I don't want you to abuse them. I don't want you to use them. I want you to, to serve them. I want you to always be thinking about them. Thinking about their spiritual well-being. I don't want you to be getting rich off them. I don't want you to be taking advantage of them. Live in such a way that, that you're feeding my sheep, that you're looking after. And that's what he meant by the word manager there in, in verse 42. It's a Greek word 
oikonomos, which can be translated as an overseer, as a steward. And Peter would become one of these managers. He would become one of these apostles that would oversee the congregation. And the application that comes home very clearly here, very directly, is to all, all of us who are elders and, and pastors in the church. Because that's what we're called to do, and that's what you need to hold us responsible to do. We need to be caring for the sheep. We need to be shepherding the flock. You know, you, you, we need to be praying for those that are having these leadership positions amongst us. In a, few, in a few months' time, hopefully we will be ordaining some new elders into the, the, into the care of New Life Church. But we need to be praying for this. At the moment, we're busy going through some training. But be praying, praying that the Lord would raise up these elders that would care for the flock, that wouldn't take advantage of the flock, they would be shepherding the flock. They would be investing in the, shop, in, in, the, in the flock. And pray. Pray that the Lord would raise up more faithful shepherds um, to do the work that, that we are called to do. But this passage is not just for the disciples, and it's not just for, for pastors and for elders. It's really for all of us. And you see that at the very end of the passage. Look at verse 48. Halfway through verse 48, Jesus says this, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Jesus is establishing a principle here. And now we see why Jesus didn't answer Peter's question directly, because Jesus was both speaking to the disciples and for everybody else. And Jesus is calling all of his disciples to faithful stewardship. To faithful stewardship. Throughout this discussion here, Jesus has been challenging his disciples to make wise use of their material goods. And now he's challenging them to make wise use of their time. In the parable of the rich fool, remember the, the ravens and the lilies was a call to trust God's care and, and to put our heart where our, where our treasure is, as we have been designed to do. And here again, Jesus is teaching His disciples to be faithful stewards, not of their material resources, but now of their time. And what does a faithful steward do? What does a faithful steward do? Well, he recognizes that all that he has is a gift from God. Everything. So a faithful steward, he uses his time, he uses his treasures, he uses his talents, all in God's service. These are all resources that the Lord has given to us. And a faithful steward constantly focuses on the master's agenda. He doesn't use his resources to further his agenda, to further his kingdom, but the master's kingdom. It is living for the glory of God and for the expansion of His kingdom. And it goes again to that question we keep on asking. What is the purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And we do that by being faithful stewards. 
by making sure that our master's agenda is our agenda. That we are committed to making his name known in this world. If the Lord was to return today, would he find, would he find us being faithful to that agenda or following another agenda? Are you faithfully shepherding your children? Are you telling them about Christ and His, His marvelous ways? Are you faithfully, sacrificially serving your, your wife? Are you being a good steward of the gift of a, of a wife? Are you faithfully submitting to your husband? Faithfully obeying Christ and submitting? Or are you faithfully obeying your parents, children? Are you being a good steward? Of these blessings the Lord has given to you. And don't fail to see that there are blessings that are promised in the very next verse. To those who are faithful. Those who are faithful stewards will receive these blessings. This week I read about, I read again about this missionary by the name of Henry Martin. He was a well-known biblical scholar and a man of learning and, and of high repute. And he gave up all for Christ to, to serve Christ in India as well as Persia at that time. And he lived his whole life in the East and, and the Middle East in the beginning of the 1800s. Before there were any air conditioners and all the modern day amenities that we enjoy today. But he contracted a fever while serving the Lord, and he died in modern-day Iran. But not in all of his time that he ministered there did he see one person come to faith in Christ. Not a single convert did he see come to faith in Christ. He translated the, the Urdu Bible. He translated other different languages of the Bible. But his biography says... Even though he never saw a single convert, he was content to live and content to die in far-off lands for his master's sake. This was not about his empire. This was not about how many people he brought to the Lord. This was not about his ego. It was about serving the Lord and everything he did for the master's sake. Now, C.T. Studd, another famous missionary, a very famous cricketer, British cricketer, who gave up his wealth and gave up his fame so that he could be a missionary. He once said, Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Is that true of your life? Could you say that this morning? Are we living for the master's agenda? The second subpoint there is in verse 45 and verse 46. Faithfulness during Jesus' absence will result in punishment at his appearance. Verse 45. If that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, 
and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Very tricky portion here, but Jesus is describing a fake Christian. This is not a faithful believer. The Scriptures tell us that we can't lose our salvation. The Scriptures tell us that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. So this is describing someone who calls himself a Christian but is not. A fake Christian. And the believers are are pictured by the faithful and the unbelievers are pictured by the unfaithful. And we see that evident here. It's the only answer the Lord really gives to Peter. There are two categories. There are two categories. It's either one or the other. It's either the faithful or the unfaithful. And which one are you in this morning? Which one of these two categories would you put yourself in this morning? Jesus often talks about the sheep and the goats. He talks about the the wheat and the tares to describe the, the visible church. In Matthew 13, Jesus shared a, another parable. Turn there with me, if you would, in Matthew 13. In verse 27 and verse 30, we have the parable of the, the wheat and the, the tares. Verse 27, And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Verse 28, And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. There are unbelievers that are part of every church, every visible church. And I'm pretty sure that there are unbelievers sitting in our church this morning. And how can I say this? Well, how do I know this? Well, Christ tells us, even in this passage in Luke 12, He tells us how we can identify these unbelievers, these goats amongst the sheep. They are the unfaithful stewards. They are the ones who often behave in a a selfish manner. They are the ones who are unloving. They are the ones who are acting in clearly unbiblical ways. And they are plainly unprepared and uninterested in Jesus' agenda. And do not care about his return at all. Go back to Luke 12 in verse 47. Jesus says, There might be another slave who knew his master's will and and didn't get ready or act in accord with his, his will. It isn't that he did things the opposite. He just didn't get ready. He just wasn't Prepared, He was unprepared. And as a result, he will receive lashes. He will receive a beating. Now, of course, lashes is, is less than being hacked to pieces. Hacked to pieces is, is death, isn't it? Being hacked is, is less severe. In verse 48, 
It says there's another one who didn't even know what his master wanted. Maybe he was not paying attention when the instructions were given. And now he's pleading ignorance. I remember once when I was in India and I went through an orange traffic light. And I was stopped by the um, traffic cop on the side of the road. And um, he pulled me over and he said, you went through a, a yellow and orange traffic light. And I said, well... I didn't go through a red light, I went through an orange light. Isn't, isn't that okay? And he said, no, 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 here in India, if you go through an orange traffic light, you receive a fine. And I said to him, well, I don't know that. In my country, South Africa, that, that's okay. He said, no, 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 you're here in my country now. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. And unfortunately, that's what this unfaithful steward was. He was pleading ignorance. He wasn't paying attention when he should have been paying attention. He wasn't listening to the instructions when he should have. And as a result, he also received a flogging. But just a few, it says. But the principle is, at the end of that passage, from everyone who has ever been given much, much will be required. And whoever has been entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. And here we find a very interesting principle. Coming to church is dangerous. (laughs) Truth is dangerous. Because if you've received the truth, and you've heard the truth, you are without excuse. You are without excuse. There are people who come to church week after week, and they hear the truth week after week, and they are not responding. That is dangerous. You have to respond. And more than not, if you're not willing to respond positively, you've already made a decision to respond negatively. No, I will, I will make a decision at a, at a later time when, when it's more convenient. You've made a decision. You've made a decision. A dangerous decision. And we've just gone through the Ten Commandments. We've heard about how God defines what sin is according to the Scriptures. And we've seen the only only hope we have is a Savior who will save us from our sins. Have you responded to that? Have you responded to that? Have you asked for the forgiveness of these sins defined in the Scriptures that we are all guilty of? For we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Or is that something you think you will wait to respond to at a later stage? Have you responded? Have you heard the good news of the gospel? Have you responded? God has sent a Savior, and His name is Jesus. Have you repented of your sins? For those of you who have repented of your sins, have you followed the Lord in the act of obedience? Have you been baptized? Have you taken the next step of your walk in faith? Have you responded? In a few weeks' time, we will start our members' classes again. If you are a Christian, if you have repented of your sins and you've been baptized, it is God's will that you become a member of a local church. Don't ignore that truth. 
respond. Don't put it off. Don't be this unfaithful steward. Hear the word of the Lord. Here in our passage, we are introduced to the reality that there are at least three kinds of unfaithful people. Three categories of people that are going to face judgment. Some are hacked to pieces in the most severest of judgment. Some are lashed very heavily. And some are receiving just a a few lashes. But Jesus concludes his teaching with this final application. Let me read it one more time. In verse 48. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Now how then are we to be ready, like Jesus says in this passage? How are we to apply this in a, in a positive way? Well, it's very clear, very clear how that is to be done. Firstly, it's not by looking out for ourselves. We are to be concerned of the welfare and the well-being of each other. Notice how he describes the bad servant in this passage. Look at verse 45. My master is delayed. He starts to beat the other servants. He starts to eat the food. He starts to to drink. And he, he hogs the food. He hogs the wine to himself. That should have been for the master to the point where he gets he gets fat and he, and he gets drunk. What does Jesus say? Well, the master is going to come when that servant's not expecting. And he will be cut into pieces. So we are called to obviously behave the opposite way that this greedy, gluttonous servant, selfish servant was behaving. We are called in the local congregation to live a life of self Renouncing love towards each other. We are to be self-giving towards one another. We are to love our neighbors. Of course, that includes everyone, believers and unbelievers, but especially in the context of the local church. We are to live a, a life where we serve each other, where we take the time that is needed, where we don't waste the opportunities that God gives to us. Let me just pause in and give a specific application here. Of course, Jesus calls us to be ready. Not by what we say. Not by what we say we believe, but rather by what we do in our actions. Listen to the language that Jesus uses at the end of um, verse 47. Remember, he's, he's speaking of a servant who knew his master's will, but didn't do it. It says there, he did not get ready. He did not act according to his will. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? What's going to be the basis on which we are judged when the Lord comes? Well, did we do what he said? Did we do what he told us to do? And the faithful servants in the local church are those who are doing what Jesus told them to do are serving the way the Lord has told us to serve. They are living out God's commands in their lives. They're not just speaking. They are serving. And in this passage, it is especially not living for ourselves. Not to be greedy. Not to be selfish. 
but living for each other's well-being. Looking out for one another. When last did you just go have tea with somebody to just encourage them in the faith? Not for any other reason, not because they make nice tea or because they make nice cake, but just because you wanted to go and encourage them. When last did you just go pray with somebody because you know they, they needed a prayer? Just to go encourage somebody. You know, in the book, The Compelling Community, Mark Dever says, The supernatural community of the local church should be supernatural in its depth as well as in its breadth. In its depth as well as in its breadth. There's no good in saying we believe the right doctrines and we are all theologically correct when we don't act the way God wants us to act. We don't behave the way God wants us to behave. Unless we understand exactly how community becomes supernatural, we have little hope of living out a biblical vision for our church. Unless we have Christ as our Lord and Savior, and unless we are submitting to His, His rule and reign in our lives, there's really no point in coming to church. There's really no point in playing church. And the Lord says... Are you ready? Are you ready? He's asking the question. Hear the question this morning. Are you ready for Christ to return? Would you have regrets? Are you living a life full of regrets? Are you living so that when the Lord returns, He will find you encouraging each other. He will find us loving each other. He will find us serving one another. Let's make sure that we're not just living for the weekend. We make plans for the weekend, don't we? We get ready for the weekend. We, we gird our loins for the weekend, don't we? Are we ready for the return of Christ? Life is about knowing Christ. That's what life is all about. He has given us this blessing of the gospel. Are we, begin, are we being good stewards of sharing that gospel with those around us? Seeing people grow in grace and being built up from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and seeing people come to faith in Christ is really what our life is all about. And seeing people become part of this faith family is a blessing more than, than money can buy. This is how a family lives. This is how a family cares for each other. We don't just think about one individual. We think about each other all the time. So one last time this morning. Are you ready? Are you ready? If Jesus says to you, are you ready? Are you living like you're ready for me to come? How would you answer that this morning? And every one of us needs to ask that question. By God's grace, may He enable us to answer it with integrity this morning. Yes, Lord, we're living to serve You. We're living to serve Your flock, and we're living to serve Your gospel. May that be true of each and every single one of us this morning. Let us pray. Father, this morning we... 
try to imagine what it would have been like on that road to Jerusalem with your disciples as you were teaching them and preparing them for your departure, teaching them these important truths that they needed to hear, that they needed to be prepared for, so that when the time came, they would not fall. So when the time came, they would not fail. But that they would be faithful disciples. And we know, Lord, when you left, we know some of your disciples, they, they struggled. We know they failed in certain areas. And there were wobbles that all of them had. But we read the testimony of these disciples, of these apostles in the book of Acts, and we see, Lord, that they, they learned their lessons and that they were faithful to the very end, even to the point of death. Every single one of these disciples following you faithfully, standing for the gospel faithfully, sharing the gospel faithfully even to people that didn't want to hear it, to the point where they were killed for their faith. We thank you for that example that they have set before us. Lord, we examine our own hearts this morning. We pray the Spirit, Lord, would help us to see clearly this morning whether we are being faithful servants of the Master. Lord, if you were to return, if you were to return this morning, would we hear you say to us, Well done my good and faithful servant? Or would we be unprepared? Lord, only, only we can answer that question. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that this morning. I pray that you would convict us, Lord, where we have failed and where we have been lazy, where we have been disobedient. And that you grant us the necessary repentance that we need this morning. Lord, I do pray this morning that we would be a faithful church, that we would be a congregation that loves our Master, that loves the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that wants to share it to the world out there that needs this hope, the only hope of salvation that they have. So may we not keep this close without Sharing it, how will they know unless we share the good news? Pray this week you give us opportunities, Lord, to share our faith, to share the gospel with those dying in their sins, and that we would not make excuses, that we would take advantage of these opportunities we have right here in the Middle East where you have placed us, Lord. So we pray that prayer this week. We pray, Lord, that we would live lives pleasing to you. We pray that this week we would be faithful stewards of all the blessings that you give us and that we would live to honor your name, that you would be exalted, that you would be glorified in our responses this week because you are worthy, Lord. You are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of our service. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.